0: Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, we ask now that you would just guide and direct us, that you would bless the service this evening, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And um, I think this one is, it is feeding back just a little bit, if you can... Um, one bit of business I'd like to take care of because we need to uh, get this done tonight is uh, I was talking with Dave Rodriguez who will be coming for our missions conference this year and uh, they are getting into a printing ministry but uh, he's worked out a deal for us. 50000 each of our two different tracks. Uh, the printing cost will be $2,389 and then folding and boxing and all of that would be another 300 and so that works out to be about 2.7 cents a track. Uh, the cheapest we have ever uh, been able to get four-color tracks, glossy paper, the whole nine yards, is, uh, was four cents a piece plus shipping, which turned out to be uh, quite obtuse. And, and so um, I think we ended up paying another six or eight hundred dollars in shipping, and it is still ringing for some reason. Um, But uh, uh, what I need is uh, approval to write the check because I'll actually be driving right past the place tomorrow to get to where we're going. And if we can drop off the check, we should have everything before the end of the month. And uh, I'll actually, this October is a crazy month. We had the uh, meeting in Syracuse and then the meeting with Brother Clayton. And then Sunday, be preaching in Rochester. Brother Hiram Davis called and said, is there any way you can come up? Uh, Our people need some encouragement, and I'll be out of town on Wednesday. Uh, So the 20th, I'll be going to Brother Davis's. And then the 26th, we have another Baptist Church Planners meeting in Sydney, which is about an hour from this place. And so we'll be able to pick up the tracks then, and bring them back. So I guess I need a motion and an approval there. Okay, Frida and... Oh, boy, I'm... Okay, I think we got Frida and Pam all in favor of purchasing the tracks. Any opposed? Okay. And um, we'll get that done. And uh, uh, that will... That should set us up for next year. And... uh, just so you know, the the ones that we've been working on for the last couple of months, we've been getting printed here in the city, and they come out at almost 13 cents apiece. So this is uh, quite a savings, and so we praise the Lord for that. And uh, I appreciate you working with us there that we can get this done. Uh, we may have to uh, borrow this money out of our building fund. We've been spending all of our general account on construction, and we haven't uh, spent anything in our building fund, so we may pull the money out of the building fund, to, just so you know where everything's going there. All right, and so I would ask uh, uh, for your prayers, as we're going to be traveling a lot in the next several days, and uh, just need uh, whoever, I think Brother Nacino is the usher, and Brother uh, Brother Mike, and Brother Franz. And whoever's in the nursery, if we could have just about five minutes over here right after the service ends to make sure everything's set up for Sunday. And I'm going to let Franz lead us in another song. In case you're wondering why we're getting new sounds out of the PA system, uh, we finished the wiring, and so that changed all the settings, and so now we've got to go back and fix all that again. So be patient with us, and Brother Franz, come and lead in another song here. And uh, I'm not guaranteeing that that's just the way it ought to be, but let's just read verses 137 through 144. 137 through 144. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. "...Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I am small and despised, yet do not I forget thy precepts. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delights. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting, give me understanding..." and i shall live now as we read through this it may seem that the psalmist is in a depressed state and and it almost seems like it's not connected but what we have to do is we have to go back to what this psalm is it is the treatise on God's Word. The psalmist is looking at the effects or the working of God's Word in his life from almost every conceivable angle. And as we look at this, I want to just kind of divide it up as it from, right from the start so that we can see the bouncing back and forth uh, that I've tried to put into the outline here. But verses uh, 137, 138, the first two verses, talk about God. Then verse 139 goes back to the psalmist. Verse 140 goes back to God. 141, back to the psalmist. Back, uh, 142, back to God. 143, back to the psalmist. And 144 finally finishes with God. And so what I've titled this is The Struggle of the Soul in the Way. The psalmist is struggling with life. How many times have you, uh, in your Christian life, if you've served God for any period of time at all, if you've been walking with the Lord, you start looking around you and you almost want to say, what good does it do to serve the Lord? It's not making any difference. Anybody ever been there? Uh, I mean, just look at the world in which we live. And yet, let me ask you a question. Is there one verse in the Bible that says it's the job of the Christian to change the world? No, there's not. We are to take the gospel to the world in which we live. The world is an evil place... We are not building a new ship. We're not building another ark to save the world. What we're trying to do is help those who are willing to get into the lifeboats before it's too late. That, that is our job. And as the psalmist is here, he is talking about God's word. He is talking about the standard that has been set And verse 37, 137, 138, he says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. So what we see here is he is setting the plate or or setting the parameters for this examination of this aspect of God's word working in, in the life of the psalmist. And by the way, when the majority of people in an area or in a nation believe the Bible and are influenced in the way they live by the words of God, there is a godly influence in that area but that's not the goal of the Scripture. The goal of the Scripture is for God's people to worship Him God's way. Will New York City benefit if we had a hundred churches like this spread out through the neighborhood? I'd take ten. How about that? Uh, uh, there, There aren't very many. But would New York City benefit from that? You bet it would. But is that the goal? No. The goal is for God's people to worship Him God's way. The goal is for those that call upon the name of the Lord to understand these first two verses. It says, Righteous art thou, O Lord. Now, we have a whole group of people. This, this whole thing that is going on, probably the biggest debate in the last uh, five years of American history has been sodomite marriage. Is that not true? And, and I'm sorry, but that's what it is. It's not the right for homosexuals to marry. It's Uh, The biblical word is that, and I know that would be offensive to some people, but that's not really what we're interested in tonight, not being offensive or being offensive. We're not trying to be needlessly offensive. But that is the battle that is going on. And what is happening here, and don't uh, understand this any other direction, you see, the reason why the battle for marriage is going on is not so that they can be treated equally with other people. It, the issue is, is homosexuality, the Bible calls it sodomy, is that an equally valid lifestyle with what is set forth in the scriptures? Now, we all know what the Bible says. But what we're going to see happening and what is happening right now is the same thing that happened about started happening about 40, 50 years ago and even before. But in earnest, in places they called themselves Christians, we had the standard of the Word of God being devaluated. If you were here two years ago when we went through the study of the history of our Bible, we came to one conclusion, I I hope you did, was that in order for the basis of all of these false texts, uh, uh, the modern versions, to be accepted, we had to change the rules of evidence. We had to accept as valid Manuscripts that history and churches since the days that these corrupt manuscripts were penned as being equal with the word of God. What we were doing was changing the standard of truth. What's going on today is changing the standard of righteousness. What is good? What is evil? We live in a day where they call evil good and they call good evil. Should you stand up against what is true, you are called an evil person, are you not? And if you stand up for what is false and what is a lie and what is against the word of God and against morality, you then become a good person in our society today. Is that not true? Am I the only one that sees it? Okay, I see some heads. Okay, we're in agreement here. And so what the psalmist is doing here in this struggle and, and the word of God and this struggle goes on in the heart of every one of us. He's saying, God, you're righteous. And your judgments are upright. You see, not everything is for sin. How many of you were one-time members of the Roman Catholic system? Or the Orthodox system? You know, those two are what we call kissing cousins. They're very close to each other. But in those religions, if you will look at them, everything is for sale. Is it not? If you have enough money in the religion of the Roman Catholic system, any problem can be solved. Is that not true? Now, it doesn't matter what you have done, to whom you have done it. If you have enough money, it can, it can be solved. Now, by the way, does that, is that not the way American jurisprudence has operated in the last 20 years as well? You see, society follows theology and theology follows society and they both end up in the ditch. It's the blind leading the blind, is it not? And here's what the psalmist says. He says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, you art the standard. You have the right to determine what is right and what is wrong. And your judgments are upright. How many know where Wall Street got its name? Back in the Dutch... Days of the Dutch living here and controlling Manhattan Island. They built a wall to keep the hostile Indians out. Guess where that wall was? Well, very close to where Wall Street is today. From Wall Street down, and just remember, most of what is now Battery Park and that whole tip of the island there is is landfill. It wasn't there when Wall Street was a wall, I mean, that, you're talking about a very small area. That was the Dutch settlement. And God, the psalmist says, listen, just like those walls that were built for protection, that's what an upright is. It's standing still. It's not going to move. You built a fort. To keep the enemy out and to protect yourself. What happened if the protection that you put around yourself didn't work? Uh, A few years ago, we were staying just south of Pittsburgh and uh, that was the area where George Washington was during the what we call the French and Indian War. And not far, just a few miles from the place we were staying, was what they called Fort Necessity. Uh, they got out shovels and they tried to dig up earthen works and, and put themselves in, in a place, and they reconstructed everything very similar because... Uh, George Washington and a small band that was with him had attacked a, um, a small French uh, uh, group of soldiers, and then they realized that that was only one light detachment, that the main part of the army was just a few miles away. So then became the race for safety, and they ended up in the middle of a field. Now, let me tell you something, the worst place to build a fort is in the middle of a field because you can be attacked on all sides. And so they dug and tried to build up earthen uh, breastworks that allowed the men to hide behind them. The only problem was the high ground was on the edge of the meadows. So the enemy was shooting down into the trenches where our soldiers were trying to find coverage. And by the way, the whole time of the battle, it was doing what it is here tonight, just pouring down rain. And so the muskets were waterlogged. The, I mean, it was, it was... And George Washington had to surrender. And it was a bad thing. And you know what happens in the lives of Christians when they don't allow the truth to be their uprights is you end up surrendering to the world. If you want a religious example of this, look at the Amish people. They have chosen certain things to be their uprights. Their dress is typical, 1820, 1840, uh, when they got established here in the the colonies, in the United States. Uh, their, Their dress has gone back, and that's been one of their uprights. Well, what happens? Is there anything specifically righteous about wearing Amish garments? Or specifically evil about wearing something that has a little color to it or might have a little design? No, the issue is modesty, isn't it? The issue is moral purity in what we wear. And when we put the upright in the wrong place, we are going to end up being defeated. Now, the psalmist says, listen, righteous art thou, O Lord, you are the standard of righteousness, and upright, those protections are thy judgments. God has given us his judgments for his protections. The next verse, instead of contrasting, builds it. He says, thy testimonies... "...that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful." He says, "...thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous." Again, we go back to verse 1. The Lord is righteous. It says, "...the testimonies He has commanded, what He is asking us to do, is righteous." And, and and I hope and I know we don't have anybody arguing these points here tonight. But aren't we tempted to bend the rules just a little bit? Aren't we tempted to tone down the rhetoric of the scripture just a shade or two so that we can be more acceptable? This is what the psalmist is saying. No, he says, thy testimonies thou hast commanded. What you've said in your word are righteous. And look at that next thing. Well, let let me get commanded. They don't call them the ten suggestions, now do they? They are the ten commandments. And our attitude, we are affected by the world in which we live. We cannot but help to be influenced and affected by the world in which we live. And it's awful hard to understand this God, the God of the Bible, that is absolutely authoritative that never allows His will to be transgressed even once without proper justice and judgment being paid out to each individual who transgressed God's law. Now, can you imagine the record books? They tell us about the total population of the entire world since Adam and Eve is somewhere around 100 and 25 billion people. How would you like to be the record keeper? Well, maybe God has more than one. But He has the right to command. And we don't have the right to argue with God. I mean, one of the things I, I try to teach my children, and, and it, sometimes it doesn't go over real well. We've got to work on that. But Now, wait a minute. I, I didn't ask for discussion on this point. I, I'm not asking for an explanation. I already know what has been done is wrong. Don't tell me why it's right. Let's move on to the punishment phase. Uh, let's get this thing over with. We don't like that now, do we? And so our tendency is, is to roll back this thing and try to soften it up a little bit. The psalmist says, listen, thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous. Now what's that last one? And very Faithful. Aren't you glad that God has not changed His laws or His standards of holiness? God did not lower Himself to meet us. What He has done is He sent Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sins that we who were enemies of God might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He has raised us to His standard. Now, when we think about that, it only goes so far. But this is where the psalmist begins this. Thou art righteous. Righteous art thou, O Lord. And upright are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous. And they never change, they're very faithful why it says He is just and faithful to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's holiness is not based upon a whim. His forgiveness of our sins is not based upon His good will toward us alone. It is based on the linear equation sin when it is finished bringeth forth death Jesus died in our place that we might be free. Did David, if he was the author, understand all of those things? No. But he did understand the principle that was involved, that God does not say, oh, it's okay this time, we'll worry about it next time. Uh, we'll sweep this one under the carpet. We'll get out the eraser, and yesterday was just a bad day, so we'll just pretend it didn't happen. What do they call those in golf? Uh, where you, yeah, mulligan. I knew it started with an M-something, but uh, you know, we're not going to give mulligans. God doesn't give mulligans. He doesn't pretend that last five shots didn't happen. Everything is recorded because he is righteous and he is very faithful. But look what happens next. Now we take the spotlight off of God's word, his perfect holiness, his faithfulness. As we get to the end, he's going to deal with the eternalness of these very things. Now he turns the spotlight back upon himself and he says, My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Now, we could spend the whole night on this one verse. But there are two places in the Bible that if you remember the disciples, Jesus went into the temple the first time and drove out the money changers. It says, Then his disciples remembered the words in John chapter 2, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And let's go and read it in Psalm 69. It gives us the full idea here. Psalm 69. And this is also a good example of prophecy. We, we probably would not know this was prophecy except for the fact that the Bible tells us it is. Psalm 69, verse 9, it says, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. He said, The reproaches of them that reproach thee have fallen on me. Have you gotten close enough to God that when someone just disobeys God's word that it drives you crazy? This is what the psalmist is talking about. Uh, I've been asked the question several times. Everybody knows the answer now, so I don't see too many. What do you think about Christian radio? I can't stand Christian radio. You see, it says here, "Because mine enemies have forgotten, it doesn't say, "Have rebelled against, it doesn't say, uh, are uh, disregarding completely, have never paid attention to. These are people who call themselves believers and worshipers of the one true God. they you can't forget something that you never learned in the first place now I know you want to think that when you fail that test at school I just forgot the answer well the problem was you never learned it in the first place how many were there prove that point we all have at one time or another have we not but in order to forget God's words David, if he is the psalmist here, he's talking about people who once named the name of God, who once brought their sacrifices, who once worshipped God, but they have turned their back on God. They have forgotten his words. Can anybody think of someone very important in David's life who that describes to a T? King Saul. He became David's enemy... Continually, didn't the Bible say that? Why? Did not Saul have God's word? Yeah. But when he got to um, the Amalekites, he kind of forgot to kill the king, Agag. Did he not? He forgot to do away with all of the animals. He was not to let anything that breathed air survive the battle, and yet they brought all this stuff back. Just an interesting thing. We don't know if there's a connection here or not, but when we get down to the book of Esther, we have Haman the Agagite. Agag. Agag. And it's the same word with a knight on the end, and I, will, I said it successfully once, and we're not trying again, all right? But there are some in Jewish tradition holds that because Saul had let Agag live, that some of his descendants lived as well. And Haman, the reason he hated the Jews was because of what Saul did all those centuries before. We, I'm not going to say that for sure, But I'm I'm going to let you know that there might have been a connection there. He says, the zeal, my zeal hath consumed me. Now I want to make one point before we go any further. This is a far cry from verse 87. When he talked about being a bottle in the smoke And he said, they had almost consumed me upon the earth. He was talking about the works of wicked men against him. He said, they almost destroyed me. He said, I was almost consumed. He said, here my zeal consumes me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Do you see the difference between the first? And that wasn't the first time David spoke of his distress. The psalmist here spoke of his distress. But we see earlier in that psalm that his distress was because of evildoers. His distress was because people were speaking against him. We get down here almost to the end. We've only got four more of these to go after tonight. Somebody's gone. Been a long time in Psalm 119, hadn't it? But listen, now his distress comes from the fact that people have forgotten God's words. I think we're seeing a little of what we call spiritual maturity here in the life of the psalmist. Would anybody agree with me on that? Instead of being upset about what other people were doing to him, he is now upset about what people are doing to God and to his word. That will keep you out of a lot of trouble. If we could only understand. I've heard preachers, I mean, just spew the venom at all of these people who are doing all of these wicked things... But could you imagine allowing yourself to be more upset than what they're doing to our society, to our country, to our economy, to our freedom? And understand that every time one of those deeds is done, it's against a holy God whose judgments are upright. What was that? Huh? Okay. And as long as we don't see any smoke rising, we'll be okay. Is the blue light still on? Okay, must be all right. Hmm? Okay, it must have did something. We'll let it go. And so we come back here to the struggle in his heart. And he says, my zeal hath consumed me. I'm just all tore up inside. I I am running out of my emotions. I am, I am coming to the end of myself because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Then the spotlight turns and we go back to verse 40. Thy word is very pure. Therefore thy servant loveth it. Here's the answer when we get emotionally distraught about what's going on around us. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest places of distress is people who call themselves Christians and what they are now doing and allowing to happen and now promoting is good. Um, You're not going to correct them. Get back to the word of God. This is pure. I don't care how patriotic and how wonderful and how biblical that guy sounds. He's a human being or she's a human being and they're not pure. But this book is very pure. Love these words. Cling to the words of God. We go back, Thy testimonies that Thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. If we could just get back to the word of God. He said, thy word is very pure. You know what? That means there's nothing added. Doesn't that describe purity? And nothing missing. All things are given unto us that pertain unto life and godliness. Amen? Amen. There's nothing missing. Don't go looking beyond the words of God for what you need. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. He promised that not one jot nor one tittle would pass till all be fulfilled. Loving God's word is affection rightly placed. You know what? Do you want to love your husband or your wife or your children more? Love God's word more. You can't help but love people more. For by this we know that we love the children of God when we love his commandments. Amen. When we keep his commandments. I'm sorry. And so the light comes back on the word of God. And then it goes back to himself. We're contrasting here. We're building the Word of God higher and higher. Then the light comes back. He says, I'm small and despised. Have you ever felt non-topical as a Christian in the conversation that goes on in the world? Uh, you ought to. Because you're not a part of what's going on out there. You know what? It's really good to be ignorant of, uh, uh, don't answer this. Who's who's the big Hollywood harlot getting a divorce right now? If you know that, the only problem is everybody does. Well, good. If you don't, praise the Lord. Be and just it, it. Don't worry. It'll be somebody else next week. Every once in a while I happen to check Google News and it's just like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. I mean, it's just not worth it. He says, I am small and despised. I'm not changing the world. I'm not making the difference. And by the way, if you could make the difference, who would the world be impressed with? You. You. Who is the world supposed to be impressed with? Jesus. That's why he hasn't called the church to change the world. He's called the church to take his message to the world. There's a difference there. Now, let's not use that as an excuse not to reach everyone that is reachable. Amen? He says... Yet do I not forget thy precepts. I got a periodical that comes, and years ago, we actually put it out on the table there and had people read it. But it's changed a lot. Now, I still get it because they just mail it to me. I I wish I could just tell them, just keep it." it. It has one good accomplishment. It just makes my blood pressure go up. Uh, And the reason it does is because I used to be a part of that group of preachers. And the things that they discuss now in their article, I just read one. uh, It says, have they broken it? Talking about marriage. Uh, When I was a Bible college student, that was not discussed. Discussed. Because we had a little more faith in God and His word than we did in the American political system. Do you see the difference there? You can't break marriage. God invented it. It's been around since Adam and Eve in the garden and marriage is going to be around until this whole world is done and everything is finished and God wraps up the whole thing and we enter eternity future and God hasn't changed His opinion of what marriage is or isn't. So, I'm not gonna let myself get all upset about some people who want to redefine and when they claim on redefining, what are they saying? We no longer accept the acceptable definition of this word, we're gonna change it. Well, then why don't you come up with something else, amen? But the simple truth is yet do not I forget thy precepts. You know what? I'm not going the way they're going. And you're not going to get me to go. I'm just going to stay where I was. Where I am. Where by God's grace I'm going to be. Because it's thy testimonies that thou hast commanded that are righteous. Amen. They're upright. It's God's Word that is very pure. That's the reason why we love God's Word is because it's something we can hold on to. Amen? I am not going back. Everything good in my life is because of obedience to this book. The psalmist said in verse 56, let me just read it to you, this I had because I kept thy precepts. Talking about all the blessings of God. Psalmist says, "I'm not going back." Verse one forty-two. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Do we need to explain that one? That's where we need to go. The psalmist he says, "The righteousness that's in this law is everlasting; it never changes." God's law is truth. You can't improve on God's word. Then we go back to the heart of the psalmist and he says, trouble and anguish have taken hold on me. If you're not upset by what's going on in our world today, something's wrong with you. We ought to be upset. It ought to affect you. But, it ought not change you. It ought not make you do anything different. That's what he says here. Yet thy commandments are my delights. We had that dinner Saturday night. Wasn't that good? Oh, man. I mean, we like to eat good food. That is a delight, is it not? Many people in the world never get to experience that. They are always just on the verge of starvation. Does that mean we shouldn't have church dinners? No. But what it does mean is we ought to pray and send missionaries and try to do what we can to help that situation. Do we stop holding church services because the world is wicked? No, much more as you see the day approaching. Amen? Maybe we need to start having church every night. I don't know. Uh I don't know how I could do that without giving you repeats, but uh um we could get through the book of Psalms in less than a month if we did that. I mean uh, Psalm one nineteen. Uh thirty-one well, no, we did take more than a month. We're thirty-one lessons now. Uh but the simple truth of the matter is we're going, we are living in a wicked world. Trouble and anguish are going to affect you. But make sure what delights you is the word of God. Now look at the last verse. It's the summation of it all. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. God, there is no end to your righteousness. Your testimonies are the standard uh, I I put it this way, God's word is the summation. God's word is the conclusion of everything. It is the summary of life. You can't get beyond it. it. And then his statement is, give me understanding. Understanding of what? Of thy commandments. And I shall live. You look at all the pain and anguish that goes on in the lives of these people who disobey God's word. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding. If we could understand that it is better for us to keep God's word than anything else. End of, stash, end of comment, end of sentence, end of paragraph, end of communication, end of everything. It is best to keep God's word. Period. The problem is, we don't understand that sometimes. And that's why we bend. Going back to the first verse, he is setting the standard. The standard is the person of God. The physical manifestation of that person of God is his commandments. The physical manifestation, what we can get a hold of, is he has commanded us these things and God has never changed. Don't you just get grieved in your soul when people disobey God's word without even a thought? Doesn't it upset you when people call themselves preachers and say, Jesus never really claimed to be the Son of God? Uh, What was Billy Graham's? A person can be saved and not even know it? I mean, how can somebody who believes the word of God, say something like that? Well, maybe they forgot. That's what it says here. Uh, But what do I do? Thy word. Guess what? God didn't forget to keep his words, amen? It's still very pure. Even in the English, it is very pure. All you got to do is read it and study it. That's why we love this book and everything we do is connected to it. And yes, we are not changing the world in which we live. The world is changing all around us and it's going in the direction that God has said it's going to go and it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's what this book says. So what am I going to do? I'm going to love this book called the Bible, amen? I'm not going to forget his precepts because God's righteousness is everlasting. 100,000 earth years from tonight, you're going to be glad you obeyed the words of this book. And guess what? What was righteous today is going to be righteous 100,000 years from today. God's not going to change his standards of holiness. Yes, this world is full of trouble and anguish. But I'm going to delight in this book because the righteousness of God's testimonies is everlasting. Our prayer is, God, let me understand more about you so I'll keep your word. Now, let me ask you, was that as depressing as you thought it was going to be when we started out? Shouldn't be. The psalmist is not hitting a bottom He is making an honest summation of what life is about. And guess what? There's struggle. If you don't think you have any struggle in this life, come see me. You're you're in bigger trouble than you think you are. But it's okay to be hurt and to be affected by what's going on in this world as long as you let it drive you closer to this book. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we ask that you would allow us to see the development in the life of this psalmist here. And Lord, that we would see that development in our own lives. That we would allow ourselves to be drawn to you and to your word and to have enough understanding that the foolishness of this world does not make us one bit closer to God. We're not here to change the world we're here to serve God. We ask that you would encourage us in that service. In your name we pray and before we finish that prayer we'll take just a few moments. And if you'd like